Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Into the final hour of today's episode. You know, I have been for a long time talking very enthusiastically about the progress we are making in terms of a vaccine against this COVID-19 virus. Uh, And while I am still very, very excited, and I have put my name out there as one willing to uh, participate in any of the phase three trials, if any of these companies developing a vaccine would like to inject me with their either placebo or uh, prospective vaccine, uh, I, I am willing. I am willing to be a test subject, a guinea pig, a lab rat, whatever it is. Uh, if I can help in some little way, uh, you, you count me in. And yet yesterday, I heard a piece of audio which came from 1997 that was sombering and sobering and kind of mm, tamped down my excitement a little bit. Let me play it for you, and then I'll explain. So let us today set a new national goal for science in the age of biology. Today, let us commit ourselves to developing an AIDS vaccine within the next decade. There are no guarantees. It will take energy and focus and demand great effort from our greatest minds. But with the strides of recent years, it is no longer a question of whether we can develop an AIDS vaccine. It is simply a question of when. And it cannot come a day too soon. It's no longer a question of whether we can develop an AIDS vaccine. It is simply a question of when. That was the declaration in 1997 when he laid down the challenge to identify and manufacture and distribute a vaccine within a decade. Well, 2007 came and went. 2017 came and went. And we uh, still today do not have an AIDS vaccine. And as I have spoken to folks over the past uh, 24 hours after hearing uh, that challenge by President Clinton... They tell me, and you may remember this, and I remember to a certain extent that uh, there was some real excitement and some real confidence in the notion that we would be uh, manufacturing, distributing uh, an AIDS vaccine, that the the scary plight of AIDS would be uh, behind us and no more, that we will have, uh, through medicine and science, discovered an antidote. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case. And what does that mean for us today? What does that mean as you and I get excited about uh, a a COVID-19 vaccine? Here's what it means to me. It means that we need to uh, remain vigilant when it comes to uh, the safety measures we have in place. 
We need to make sure that we are aware of the numbers in our communities. We need to know uh, how our loved ones are feeling. We need to, we need to, when unable to maintain good social distancing, we need to wear our masks. We need to, if our child has the sniffles or is demonstrating any of the symptoms associated with COVID-19, we need to hold them back from school. Why? Well, because we might not end up with a vaccine. You know, as optimistic and excited as all those have been over the past number of months, myself included, we need to remember that the vaccine is only uh, as good uh, as its uh, effectiveness. And if it is, if we are unable to develop an effective d- vaccine, then, well, we don't have a vaccine. And then the burden of mitigating the spread of this virus will again fall on our shoulders. And uh, we have seen that the tactics employed by those empowered to, to do so uh, have been shutdowns. All right, the schools will close down again. Uh, Businesses will be closed. You and I will be uh, working from home once again. Right now and until uh, the vaccine makes it to us, we need to uh, be sure that we are doing what we can now to to mitigate the spread of the virus. Um, Let me share with you a bit from uh, an opinion piece that really brought this all to my attention, that that we really should be uh, cautious about over-promising on vaccines, all right? It, uh, it, there is a chance. Now, listen, the, the, the science is good, and there is an incredible urgency, and the COVID-19 virus is far different uh, than, than AIDS, all right? And, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Putin's right. <laughs> maybe he uh, and the Russians were able to come up with some kind of vaccine. Maybe they did the, uh, what did we call it, the, the challenge test? Right. Where you kind of skip you skip phase three and you uh, you give the potential vaccine to a a group of people and then intentionally later expose them to the virus. Maybe that's happened and maybe maybe we have it already. But there is a slim chance. There is a chance. I I hope it's not. There's a chance. There's a chance that we don't have a Verizon uh, Verizon a vaccine immediately on the horizon. And so how should that uh, inform our attitude and behavior? Well, as I said, uh, we just have to be a a little more uh, vigilant. President Clinton wasn't the first person to uh, succumb to wishful thinking when it came to vaccines. In fact, uh, 16 years earlier, at the dawn of the AIDS pandemic, it was uh, President Reagan's Secretary of Health and Human Services promised Uh, that there would be a vaccine ready for widespread testing within two years. Two years. All right. This is decades ago. Decades ago. 16 years before Clinton made his promise, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary said that two years was the timeline we needed to develop an AIDS vaccine. Says as a, a political appointee in Clinton's Department of Health and Human Services and a keeper of the department's reputation, I was painfully aware of the earlier instance of premature uh, triumphalism. In '97, Health and Human Services they tried uh, to warn Clinton. They tried uh, to say to him, "Yeah, we don't, we don't, we really can't guarantee that." 
but he wanted his own his own his own moonshot moment. So as we look uh, and place our confidence in a vaccine, uh, let's be cautious. All right. Uh, I want to remain optimistic. I want to remain eager. I uh, am, as we discussed yesterday, uh, very willing and eager to to get myself one of these vaccines as soon as uh, my category of people comes up. You know, who knows when they figure out the prioritization, you know, after healthcare workers and uh, maybe those in high risk and the teachers and the first responders. uh, You know, I'll I'll probably be prioritized uh, somewhere down there towards the bottom. Uh, But when my number is called, uh, my hand will be in the air and I will accept a, a vaccine. I encourage uh, you to do the to do the same or at least be of the same mind. Be optimistic, but remain vigilant. Be optimistic that the vaccine is coming, but remain vigilant because right now it's not the vaccine that's defending us. It's ourself and our behavior. All right. Uh, Quick break. When we come back, I want to turn back the hands of time a little bit uh, and and discuss with you uh, something called patent medicine. Patent medicine. There are a handful of scientists around the world right now who are not necessarily affiliated with big drug companies, and yet they, on their own, kind of uh, like tinkerers in their backyard, are developing uh, their own vaccines. So they say. What does that mean? And have we seen behavior like this in history? The answer is yes, and I'll share with you what I mean next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.